The surprise of Scripture is this. Those who are meek, those who are finished with themselves, are the ones who succeed in the end. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we have just lifted up in both word and also in song, as we prayed in the name of him who refused to save himself, remind us of the ultimate, the supreme model of humility and meekness, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Teach us what it means, O Lord, to finally come to the place of being finished with ourselves, that we might put the interest of the kingdom, that we might put the interest of Christ before our own, and that we might put the interest of others before ourselves. Teach us today that the disciple is one who is finished with himself. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In our current sermon series, as we're looking at the portrait of, of a disciple as painted by Jesus in the words found in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12, today we come to the third Beatitude. And so we'll read uh, today's passage uh, through verse 5, beginning with verse 3, Matthew 5, beginning with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may this third beatitude this morning by the power of the Holy Spirit revive our souls today. Former Indiana basketball coach Bobby Knight made an interesting statement about meekness and basketball. And his view of meekness and basketball, and in particular basketball players, should not be surprising. This is what Coach Knight said at one point. The meek may well inherit the earth, but they rarely get rebounds. For Knight, to be meek was to be weak, unaggressive, timid, and unsuccessful as a basketball player. Mike was one of the nicest guys on campus. And he was also a friend of mine. Another thing for which Mike was known is that he was seven feet tall and played second string center on App State, Appalachian State's basketball team. Bobby Crimmins was the coach of App State back in the, in the last part of the 70s when I was in college there. And he wanted so much for Mike to be successful as one of the centers for the App State basketball team. 
And so Mike was not only tall, but he was skinny as a rail. And so Coach Cremens tried to put some weight on Mike, and it worked. He looked, looked like his belly looked like a pea, and the rest of him looked like a pea pod. He just gained weight just in his stomach. He, he, was, just, he was just so nice. Cremens thought, well, if I put some weight on Mike, maybe he'll get a little bit more aggressive on the court. But he wasn't. He rarely played. But when he did come in, all of us in the stands just went crazy because we love to see Mike on the court. But in light of what Coach Knight said, in light of what Coach Kremen sought to do, they, Mike had the height, but he simply didn't have the toughness and the aggressiveness to succeed by the world standards on the court. According to Coach Knight, meekness was a success killer for a basketball player. But here's the interesting thing about meekness. The world views it as a detriment, but it is an essential characteristic of the disciple of Jesus Christ. According to the Bible, according to Jesus, and we'll look at numerous examples in the Bible, it shows that meekness is not as the world defines it, weakness. In fact, we see great strength in the meek that we'll consider this morning. The, the surprise of scripture is the meekest people on earth, the ones who are truly finished with themselves are the strongest, most blessed, most successful in the end. So we'll consider meekness from the standpoint of three things. We'll look at examples of meekness in the Bible. We will consider the meaning of meekness. And then lastly, the surprise, we'll look at the reward for the meek. And the sermon outline should be available somewhere there in your bulletin. So there are many examples of meek people, of meekness in the Bible. And today we'll just examine a few. And we'll begin with Moses in the Old Testament. In Numbers chapter 12, in verse 3, we read this about Moses. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the peoples who were on the face of the earth. Now, what might be a, a bit comical, if not interesting, about Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, that tells us that Moses was the meekest man on earth is, who wrote that? Moses. <laughs> He's the author of the Pentateuch, including Numbers. And so we don't need to think that, well, the very fact that Moses wrote this about himself obviously shows that he wasn't meek. No, Moses, that would be very different if I wrote that about myself. I'm the meekest man on earth. That would be a problem. But Moses was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What he wrote is exactly what God intended him to write. It was what he had to write. It just happened to be about about himself. 
But the context of this statement is interesting. In Numbers chapter 12, Moses faced opposition from the most unusual place. Aaron, the great high priest, and Miriam, Aaron's sister, opposed Moses. In fact, they challenged Moses and they opposed his marriage to a Cushite woman. But I think the deeper reason that Aaron and Miriam opposed Moses, I mean, the apparent reason was this marriage, marrying this Cushite woman. But I think deep down inside, they were simply jealous of Moses' position with God, his status with God, and his role as the prophet, not just a prophet, but the paradigm prophet, second only to Christ to whom Moses appealed as the one who would succeed him ultimately in Deuteronomy chapter 18. And so God intervened in in this, this broken relationship. And God affirms that Moses was unique as a prophet. That Moses' uniqueness is seen in the fact that God spoke face-to-face with Moses. And God called Moses faithful in all my house. And so God vindicates Moses. And then God does something else. His anger is poured out against Miriam. And she contracts leprosy. Now think about that for a moment. Your enemy is punished. We might expect Moses to defend himself, to gloat over the fact that those who opposed him are now, are being opposed by God and afflicted. We might even think that Moses might further seek retaliation against what really is an unthinkable attack by Aaron Aaron and Miriam against Moses. I mean, he... But yet Moses did not react to defend himself. He did not retaliate. We can think of Moses as trusting God to vindicate, which God did, and submitting to God in every aspect of this, not taking it upon himself to punish and to make things right, to retaliate, to vindicate, to seek vengeance. Moses didn't do any of that. In fact... He responds with meekness. He responds with gentleness and lowliness and compassion and with a tender heart. Moses cries out to the Lord to heal Miriam. He had a a right to get even but he set his rights aside. He put her interests ahead of his own, and he responded with a gentle and lowly heart to what was his enemy. And I would commend to you and suggest to you that this is a beautiful picture of meekness in the life of Moses 
We see real strength in Moses. And we can just look at Moses' life, and, and we know from standing before Pharaoh to breaking the tablets as he came down from Sinai to going upon Mount Pisgah at the end of his life as an old man to look over to the promised land yet never physically realizing that promise. We know that Moses is a strong man and this shows real strength in meekness. Moses submitted to God's sovereign will and providential work. Moses had a realistic view of himself, humble and lowly of spirit before God. And Moses was humble and lowly of spirit even before Miriam who opposed him and really sinned against him. Moses was meek. Another Old Testament figure, Gideon was meek. We may not think of Gideon and meekness, but, but if you turn to Judges chapter 6 through 7, you'll find there God calling Gideon to go and save Israel from the Midianites. And Gideon questions the Lord, basically saying this, God, I'm not so sure I'm suitable for this task. My clan is the least clan in Manasseh, and I, Gideon, I'm the least in my father's household. Gideon had a realistic view of himself, lowly, humble, the least. But God called him, and then God does something else. You know the story. I don't have time to go through it, but it's a beautiful story. Gideon had all of these soldiers, and then God whittled down the number that Gideon was to take to save Israel against the Midianites to 300 men, those who lapped the water up from the stream. What was God doing there? God was showing that the victory is the Lord's. Gideon trusted and submitted, submitted to God's sovereignty and his providential work. Gideon trusted the Lord. And it was through Gideon that the power of the Lord brought about the victory. It was not Gideon's military prowess, his strategic planning, nor the mightiness of his men. He only had 300 against a mighty host arrayed before him. God brought the victory. That Gideon understood his place before God. He was meek. Stephen goes without question, right? As a meek man. Stephen, the deacon, standing before Israel, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ powerfully. The apostle Paul standing there at Saul at the time who gave his consent for Stephen's martyrdom. But Stephen, meek, but ever so strong, is faithful to Christ, faithful to proclaim Christ, even to the point of submitting to God's will and giving his life for the sake of the gospel. The Apostle Paul is another example of meekness. After 
that situation with Stephen's martyrdom. Paul is radically converted on the road to Damascus. And we just think of Paul's life. He was opposed time and time again. Yet he responded with, with acknowledging his own weakness, but boasting in Christ. He, he responded by putting the interests of the gospel before his own, by putting the interests of the church before his own, by putting the interests of his fellow believers and even his fellow preachers and apostles before his own. The last sermon series that Derek uh, preached out of Philemon, which, uh, which was just a wonderful reminder about fellowship and, and how we should grow in fellowshipping together as a body also is a picture of Paul's meekness. Paul charged Philemon to forgive his runaway slave Onesimus. And, if, and likely Onesimus did steal from Philemon. And Paul said, whatever he has cost you, what did Paul say? Charge it to my account. I'll take care of it. Paul constantly putting others' interests, Philemon's interests, Onesimus' interests, ultimately the church's interests before his own. An example of meekness. And the supreme example of meekness in the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the humble Savior. Our call to worship this morning, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light gentle and lowly in heart and all every disciple all that will be in the kingdom of God will find rest in Jesus is he strong or is he weak he's meek but he's by no means weak. He is our rest that denotes strength. Jesus' triumphal entry as the true king fulfills Zechariah 9.9, which says this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughters of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on the colt the fold of a beast of burden. Jesus humbly submitted to his Father's will. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus humbly submitted himself to the cross. We profess this as we, in our profession of faith this morning from Philippians 2. Kevin read about it from Isaiah chapter 53. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2.8. And surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed jesus setting his divine right aside setting his interest aside 
came down, took a human nature to put our interest ahead of his own. Humility, meekness. Jesus also demonstrated humility and not striking back, not trying to get even. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter 2.23. And also from Isaiah, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Meekness. Jesus is the model of meekness. Again, condescending to come down and die on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. And on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, the very one that is the subject of verses 9 through 11 is the one who so profoundly humbled himself. In other words, Jesus humbled himself, but then he's also exalted to his rightful place. There is strength in meekness, as we see in Philippians chapter 2. In Christ, there's perfect meekness, perfect power, and perfect authority. They all come together. Well, what do we learn about these examples of meekness? What do we learn about Christ as our model of meekness? Especially when it comes to Christ, we, we cannot attain the level of meekness of Jesus. He is the God-man. But yet, we are called to follow his example. We are called to follow the example of the saints that we've looked at and the many more that are contained in Scripture that, that reflect this, the biblical understanding of meekness. Just before the Apostle Paul wrote uh, about Jesus' condescension to humble himself to become obedient to death on a cross, he said this in chapter 2 and verse 5. He called the people of Jesus, his disciples, to in the same way put others' interests before their own in verse 3. So we are to emulate these incredible models of meekness in the scriptures. But having looked at these examples of meekness, let's think about the meaning of meekness. What does it mean to be meek? What does it mean to be humble? We obviously cannot delve into every single aspect of this today. But I want to begin by suggesting what it is not. It clearly is not Coach Knight's understanding of meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not a success killer. Meekness is not being timid and lacking aggression. Our examples show that. They were meek, but yet they were strong. They were, they were not timid. They, were aggressive in pursuing the glory of God, in obedience 
in submitting to God's providential will. Well, well, what is it? It is do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself, Philippians 2 and verse 3. It is, as James writes, who is, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Here, James tells us that our lives should demonstrate deeds done in humility, that which comes from wisdom. We should be known for our lowliness and our gentleness. Meekness is a mark of the disciple. Meekness is something that we don't have and we can somehow do this or that and attain it. We've talked about this before, but, but meekness is something that the Holy Spirit gives to every believer. It is part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. James says that the meekness that comes from wisdom, or the meekness of wisdom, the Holy Spirit imparting wisdom, the Holy Spirit imparting the grace of meekness. Lloyd-Jones, again, is so helpful in looking at the Beatitudes, and, and he said this, the man who is outside, that is, one outside the kingdom, has an excuse, for it is impossible to him to be truly meek because he is outside of Christ. But if, if we truly claim that we have received the Holy Spirit, and this is the claim of every Christian, we have no excuse if we are not meek. You cannot spend time with a verse like this, Matthew 5 and verse 5, without it humbling you. It is true Christianity. It is the thing for which we are called and for which we are meant. Simply, we have no option but to be meek. To be filled with the Spirit, Lloyd Jones is saying, is, is to be meek, is to be poor in spirit, is to mourn and grieve over sin, is to be what the rest of the Beatitudes tell us. That's what we're meant to be. We're meant to be meek. John Blanchard said this, meekness is a defining grace produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian, which characterizes that person's response toward God and man. So meekness has a horizontal and vertical aspect to it. And the biblical meaning of uh, meekness is summarized really in the three aspects we noted in Moses' life. The meek disciple submits to God's will and providential work. The meek disciple has a realistic view of self as lowly in spirit and humble before God. And a meek disciple is a person who is not only humble before God, but humble before others, demonstrated preeminently in putting the interest of others before his own or her own. Sam Storms, another commentator on the Beatitudes, points out that submitting to God's will, being meek by submitting to God's will, also includes accepting God's divine limitations. We may want to do X. We may tell our children, if you work hard enough, you can be 
whatever you want to be. And we need to see the untruth in that. We cannot be whatever we want to be. We can be some things we may want to be. Our children cannot be whatever they put their mind to and work hard enough expect to receive it. Why? Because God has ordained limitations with every single person. And humility is coming to terms with accepting who I am, having a realistic view of self, understanding my strengths, but understanding that God has imposed limitations on me. I can't be whatever I want to be. I can be what God has called me to be. I can be what God has gifted me to be. But I can't be whatever I want to be. The first half of my ministry, I, I struggled because I wanted to be what I could not be. Do you know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be that pastor that when he walked in the room, literally sucked the air out of the place. That extrovert, that guy that's the life of the party, that guy, uh, there was one pastor who retired and one of the congregation members stood up and said, the party's over. I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be that, that extrovert that, that's just everywhere and with everybody all the time and just energy. That's what I thought pastoral ministry was primarily about. And I can be an extrovert for a while. I can work a room for a time. And then my tank is totally empty. And I've got to go recharge. I am limited. Zach Eswine, who is one of our missions conference speakers, who knows a lot about struggle in ministry, wrote a book about sensing Jesus. It's a wonderful book. And the theme of that book is this. You can't be whatever you want to be. As a pastor, you can't think that you can do all of this stuff yourself. You have limitations. And you have limitations. As gifted as you may be in areas, you're not gifted in everything. And meekness is understanding that. I've had to come to the place of understanding that I am limited as a pastor. I should not be limited in faithfulness. I should not be limited in my, my doctrinal purity. I should not be limited in a whole lot of things. But as far as being a human being and serving God, there are limitations imposed on me. Thankfully, there are other people who are not limited as I am. And a perfect example of that is what happened Friday. Let me just say this. What happened Friday was an organic ministry. I guess we can call it organic. Maybe spirit-filled would be more holy. Yeah, let's say spirit-filled. 
a, a spirit-generated ministry rose up here at the church that did something I could never do. It was a meal ministry to go and minister to some of our older congregations who can't get out. And I just remember thinking, wow, what a great thing. I could never pull that off. I'm limited in those sorts of areas. And yet God has raised up others here who are not limited in those sorts of areas. Do you see what I'm saying? As individuals, we're limited. As a church, we're not. And meekness is understanding my limitations and accepting them, acknowledging them, and trusting God in the midst of them. The most profound view on meekness, again, is from Lloyd-Jones. To be meek, he said, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether. And you come to see you have no rights or deserts at all. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. That, it seems to me, is the essential quality. Meekness to me, years ago, reading these words from Lloyd-Jones, still means I am finished with myself altogether. God is first. Others are before my interest. The growth and ministry and success of covenant is before my personal interest. Derek's success is before my success. Your spiritual growth is before my interest. You see what meekness is? You see what it means to be finished with yourself altogether? You become God-focused and other-focused. You become me or more me. The surprise of Scripture is that those who are meek, those who are finished with themselves altogether, actually succeed in the end. And it is to that success that I want to turn now. The surprising thing, the third point, just briefly, the one who is finished with himself, the one who is amazed that God or anybody else said anything good about him, is the one who will truly find blessing, who will be truly happy, and who will ultimately succeed by enjoying the reward of heaven itself, the new heavens and the new earth. We are not to be meek to get this reward, but because we are meek, it is a characteristic of who we are in Christ Jesus. We possess this incredible reward, this incredible inheritance. Psalm 37, 9, For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And, and, and the inheritance here is clearly all the fulfilled promises that God has for us in Christ Jesus, including the possession of, of heaven itself. All of us will succeed in the end. The surprise of Scripture 
the meekest people on earth will be the most blessed, will be the happiest, and will ultimately be the most successful. I just want to end with an observation that applies to not only this beatitude, but really to all, all the beatitudes. And I want to ask a couple of questions. I'll ask them of myself. You may want to ask them of yourself. Am I meek? And I would answer that question, yes. And then I would answer that question, no. I can say, I guess like Moses, I am meek. <laughs> not because it's inspired, God has inspired me to say that, but because I'm in Christ. I'm a disciple. It is a, it is a characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus Christ being meek. Each of those beatitudes is who we are. And there's no debate about it. So we can say, yeah, am I meek? Am I poor in spirit? Am I poor? Do I hunger? And yes. But we can also answer the question, no. Because even though these are characteristics that we already possess, but we so quickly in a sense, rebel against living in light of them. We can turn from them. And I, I have found that everyday issues of life give me a realistic view of not living in light of who I am in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? We are the Beatitudes in Christ Jesus, but we can foolishly and sinfully live contrary to them. And I believe it's the everyday, simple, mundane matters of life that point that out. I could use examples of marriage. I obviously struggle with being meek before Renee. I could use issues at church. I, I struggle to be meek before you. But it's, it's when I'm on my bike, my, my bicycle, riding on the river trail and it's particularly busy on the river trail and I'm riding and there are either walkers or runners and for some reason that has escaped me they don't understand my rights and it's even more pronounced when they have children they don't understand my rights and they don't understand what it means to keep your children in line and so I'm riding my bike, minding my own business, and they are just totally unaware of anything, except that they're all over the trail. And I can become aggravated. I can even become aggravated at other bikers just Saturday morning. I had actually done the right thing by slowing down, even stopping because of a some walkers and another slower gentleman on a bike. And I said, I'm just going to, I'm not going to push this. I'm just going to stop and let them do their thing. And then about 30 bikers whizzed past me. And I thought, I can't believe they should have slowed down. They don't, I'm doing the right thing. So here's my point. Now, this is not a dissertation about how you should be more mindful of bikers as you're walking the river trail. That's not my point. The point is my heart. It's the simple, everyday, mundane things that point out, you know what, Tim? In Christ Jesus, you are meek. That's what you're meant to be. But in reality, you've got a long way to go, brother. 
You can become so aggravated at people, not recognizing you're right, causing you to slow down and even stop. Now, what is it for you? What in your life causes you frustration or aggravation? I can't believe that person. Whatever. And it's occasion for us to see in these everyday matters how much we need to seek the Spirit to change us. And to change us in this way, not that we would be something we're not already, but that we would be more what we already are in Christ Jesus. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are finished with themselves altogether and put the interest of Christ and his kingdom before their own and the interest of others, even walkers and runners on the river trail. Take the principle and bring it down to where you live in your mundane, everyday relationships. As Lloyd-Jones says, we don't have an option. We are meant to be meek. Let's pray. Father, you do surprise us from time and so often, and we are surprised in your word that tells us that the meek, those who are finished with themselves altogether, succeed in the end. They will inherit heaven. And I pray, Father, that we would be mindful of who we are in Christ, that we'd be mindful that we are to live more and more consistent with who we are, that we'd be mindful of our need for the Holy Spirit, that we would be more poor in spirit, more as we are, mournful over sin, and more are, as we are meant to be, meek, lowly in spirit, totally submissive to your will, humble before you and humble before others. All for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.